Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. Folks, he can do it. Amen. I'm going to get into the Word. I left you last week. How many of you are here today and were not with us last week? Lift your hand up. It's okay. I'm not going to call you out other than just asking you. That's quite a number of you guys. Uh, So that's going to leave you somewhat at a deficit. And all I can do for you today is say two things, two things. Um, that I want, you can always look us up online, go to our uh, site, our website, or you can go online, YouTube, CAG Bethlehem, and uh, you'll, you'll find our archive messages you can follow up so you get the first part, and it may make a little more sense. But I, the title for my message today is part two of God's Hate List. God's hate list. And I understand that may be stark for you to hear me say those words as it relates to God because you also know that God is love, right? So to hear this preacher stand up and say, God has a hate list, absolutely. He really does. He hates sin in all its capacity and the devastation it brings to people's lives. And so I started last week and I only made it through three of seven. And I'm going to pick it up from the fourth on the hate list now. And here's the passage of scripture. This is Proverbs 6, verse 16. Thank you, Maria. You are a bright and awesome woman. I appreciate good media people. They make me look good, and I appreciate you, Maria. Thank you so much. This is Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll jump to uh, number 4 in the uh, list. There are six things the the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. So we began with haughty eyes last week, and that's just another way of talking about pride. Anybody know anyone with pride in their lives? Anybody here ever have to fight pride in your own life? If you have never struggled with pride, raise your hand right now. Okay. So that just proves that you have pride. Well, there's only two, and they were young people. So it's possible, and I'm saying like eight-year-old people. One of them was just baptized. So, okay, I can give them that. Maybe they haven't struggled with pride. But you get up to about 11 years old, Some of you before then, but I'll say about 11, everybody starts battling with pride in their lives, some shape or form, but it's not something that makes God happy, is it? And then I move on to the second point is a lying tongue, and we've, as a church, even as Christians, it's too comfortable for us to lie. 
And we've got to change that, folks. Lying on your taxes, lying about everything, just common, even exaggerations that, that are not, they, they're based in truth, but they're not the whole truth. And we got to, as believers, get away from doing such a thing. We've got to come to the place where we understand that this is a problem and we can't continue to operate that way. We ought to be separate from the world in that we are not liars. And I ended last week by his third assertion of things God detests or hates, and that's hands that kill the innocent. Hands that kill the innocent. And I used the story of Cain killing his brother Abel, and we talked about how that the blood of Abel cried out to God, that, a, that the voice of the dead is audible to God. And, and he has a problem with this kind of thing that we kill the innocent. And I spent some time talking about this from the perspective of the possibility that there are ladies that have had abortions. And I believe that that is a life and I believe that is an innocent life and it falls in this category. But I was also quick to share with you that the Apostle Paul referred to himself as a murderer and yet walked in the grace and forgiveness of God. So whatever your past has been and wherever that's gotten you, even if it's that, if you will, detestable act as stated by Solomon, God is the one who can and does forgive all sin. Did you hear me say that? If the Apostle Paul, who murdered Christians, or was responsible for bringing them uh, to the place where they would ultimately be murdered, could find grace in the eyes of God, the Apostle Paul, he gave us half of the New Testament. He found grace in God's eyes. You can as well. So let's move to the fourth in this series of things that God detests, and that is a heart that plots evil. From verse 18, a heart that plots evil. Your King James Version or New King James says, a heart that devises wicked plans. Anybody know someone like that? Again, don't raise your hand. A heart that devises wicked plans. I'm not talking about the kind of plans that your brother pulls over on you because he wants to mess you up. I don't mean like take you out like Cain. I'm just saying make your life miserable. Any of you have brothers like that? I probably have one watching me right now, so I'll tell on him right now. We used to do this, though. This is, it, it was mutually disturbing thing. We used to set, set things up so that we would put a shoe over the doorway. I'm telling people a trick. Now, some of your kids are going to try this now. Put it over top of this doorway so you walk through the door and the shoe falls on your head, hits you in the head. We got so good at it that we couldn't keep doing it. So I devised us a better plan. Because you could, we got to the point where we always looked up when we went through a doorway. Because, you know, you get hit four times, five times out on some big old boot. And it, you start to learn, maybe I should pay attention now. We used to do that kind of thing. And so I know I used to plan. I took a yo-yo, extended the string outside the door. So now there's only a string that you, so you couldn't see it. No shadow up there. 
And so when my brother opened the door, it went, I measured it. I did everything. So it, yeah, sounds like something that Roadrunner and Coyote would be involved in, right? Well, we used to do those things. But I'm not talking about a heart that plots evil. Listen to this. An evil heart will bring about the judgment of God. It, that's what, how God thinks of this. Listen to uh, Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought. You hear those words? Everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So, the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky... I am sorry I ever made them. You see, when God saw the, how evil the thoughts and imaginations of man had become, he wanted to destroy them. By the way, some of you were not here last week. You can take these notes. They should be in your bulletin. If you picked up a paper bulletin, if you have our app, church app, you can take the notes right along with us as I give the message, and uh, you can fill in the spots even on the app. Yeah, he saw what the thinking of man had become, and it disturbed the Lord. Some people find it, uh, excuse me, I need, I'm jumping ahead of myself. When the world tries to tell you that all people are essentially good, that is inconsistent with human history and biblical understanding. Your young people, your children are being taught by a whole group of psychologists in their schools that people are essentially good. That goes adverse to biblical understanding, knowledge, and human history. I mean, think about it for a minute. People are essentially good. Have you ever heard of headhunters? I mean, have you heard of our history? How about Adolf Hitler? Have you ever heard of names like that? People aren't generally good. How many of you parents, what, what was the first word your child actually learned? We didn't even have to think about that, did we, parents? Your, the first word your child really got down was easy for him was no. Because they, out of the box, if you will, have to be taught what not to do because our heart, our nature is bent towards doing what makes us happy, which is generally selfish. I want to do what makes me feel good, right? Some of you right now are thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. And you go to a restaurant, and, and if you're there with your parents, they, they, you're, you'll be looking at something and saying, this is what I want. Mom or dad may say, no. 
have to say no again because we want what we want. And then you get older when you can afford, like I've said this before from the pulpit, I, I have enough money. If I wanted to, I could go down, I could empty out Wawa with all of their snacks. I could empty them out. I mean, I may empty my bank account, but I could empty them out. And I could eat all I want. I could go down to the giant, pick up all the donuts that are left on there in their donut pl place. I like their donuts. They are so awesome. Seriously, if you've never tried a crow dough, that's what it's called. You got to try it, people. Only at giant crow dough. I know. Sounds weird. Tastes amazing. But that's, you know why it tastes good? No. Lard. There's a word for you. Lard and sugar. Blend the two together with a little bit of dough. Hallelujah. But you know what happens when you eat too many of them? You get to be an adult. You want to do what you want to do, right? But we all know what happens to us. We're living off the fat of the land. We're not essentially good. We're essentially evil, and we need to be in a right relationship with Christ and have our mind renewed. We invite him into our lives. He does the work of transformation for us, making us after his image and likeness, not just in physical form, but as a spirit being. And in this case, it was only Noah who found grace in the eyes of God. Only Noah and his family. Only eight people out of all of the millions that were on the earth at that time. Only eight people were allowed to survive it. All of them gone because their hearts plotted evil. You see, the heart of man is deceitfully and desperately wicked. That's our problem. Listen to what Matthew 15, 18 says. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. You know that was Jesus talking right there, right? And he was being cornered by the Pharisees who had developed so many laws on top of the great ten. And, and, and those Pharisees were observing the disciples who were not, you know, they were eating, but they didn't wash their hands. Now, I'm not giving you kids permission now. Don't you try this on your parents. <laughs> That'll be what some of your kids are going to do right now, aren't they? They're going to start quoting scripture. <laughs> it isn't what I eat with my unwashed hands that defiles me, Mother. What is, what's in my heart, mother? You heard the word. Don't try it on your mom. If you had a mom like I had. Yeah, well, anyway. It doesn't take five minutes of general television to embarrass me. 
what is portrayed by the media. I've taken to watching programs and, and new ones that I think are going to be great. But I just wait for the moment when they introduce a gay character. I wait for the moment when somebody's going to get... I mean, we've already had to deal with the adultery and everything else for years, but now that's the, the new thing. I, the number of programs that depict the depravity of man is enormous that you can watch on television. You really have to search for something that isn't defiling from the gate, out of the gate. You really have to search. The heart of man is deceitfully and desperately wicked. Who among us, young and old alike, does not have to work at guarding your fantasy life? That's what that scripture refers to, right? The thoughts. You have to work at guarding your fantasy life because your fantasy life comes out of self-gratification. And that's what you're... You can spend hours thinking about something that you want. And that becomes lust. And it's not always sexual. But you spend that amount of time and you're fantasizing on what you should have and what you deserve and think you're entitled to. Do you know your thoughts are known to God? But you can change this problem according to Philippians 4.8. You can change this problem. You know what that scripture says? You know I'm going to show you, don't you? You can change this problem. It's a problem that all of humanity must entertain, but it's a problem that we can solve with the power. This is what Paul is referring to when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the very thing he's referring to. He's referring to Philippians 4.8 when it says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Look at your neighbor right now and say, your thoughts are broken. You need to get them fixed. I know you may be embarrassed to say that to somebody you love and care about. But you can change this problem. He, he says, fix your thoughts. How? On Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Eight things to, that will fix your thoughts. That sounds like the title to a great message. Eight ways to fix your thoughts in your life and your walk with God. Doubt of this mind is, is what he's referring to when he says the evil is from your heart. Your actions follow those evil thoughts. And Paul's saying to us here in Philippians 4.8, you need to fix those thoughts on the things that are right and good. If you're constantly thinking, not just evil thoughts, but just bad stuff, woe is me. Some of you have somebody in your family that, I'm going to use a, 
uh, Winnie the Pooh character. I knew somebody would come up with it. It's Eeyore. It's always bad. It's always on the wrong side of things. It's never going to work out. It's always me. This always happens to me. I don't know why it always happens. Turns out this way for me. <laughs> you need to fix those thoughts. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's another Philippians passage. Same chapter, as a matter of fact, verse 19. My God shall supply. Start fixing your thoughts on what God does, what he can do. We spent some time this week listening to Brother Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I love his preaching because I love how it encourages me. I walk out of there every time feeling like I can take on the world. Because it's so full of the word of God and faith and how God comes through. And so God despises or detests a heart that plots evil, but he also detests feet, feet that race to do wrong. Feet that race to do wrong. Job, in writing his words, as directed by Holy Spirit in chapter 15, verses 34 and 35, he writes, For the company of hypocrites will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of bribery, they conceive trouble and bring forth futility. Their womb prepares deceit. All he's talking about is how people race to do wrong. Because once again, deceit is in the heart. And so there are people, if you're, if you're never transformed, some of you could testify to this this morning. If you're not saved, you were happy doing sin, right? looking for the next fix, the next night out, the next time you could party, the next time you could get high, the next time you could get drunk. You race to it. Because the heart is deceived. Job is saying deceivers will deceive and conceive trouble. They'll find ways to chase after mischief if you will. And it's what has happened or has been happening during the rioting in our major cities recently. And using the word mischief is just too light of a word to use in this case because what they were doing was not simple mischief. They weren't toilet papering trees and cars and houses. They were burning people's businesses crashing their windows and stealing their goods. That is sin, wrong, and should not take place in the United States of America. Your anger doesn't entitle you to destroy or steal someone else's products, or house, or lives. You're not entitled to that. You are entitled to protest. Speak your mind. Do so in a peaceable manner, though, so that we can hear what you're actually saying 
and we can rightly divide the truth and work it out accordingly. Wrong thinking, however, leads to wrong actions. And so if your thinking's messed up, you need to get it adjusted. You cannot separate the two. We need to go back to Philippians 4.8 and think on good things. Some of you, even in the church, need to get your mind sanctified. I know that's a big word for a Sunday morning. But it just means that you need to get your mind separated as unto the Lord. That's what sanctified means. Set apart, separated to the Lord. And so we need to get these minds of ours separated to the Lord and stop thinking about all of the things that are gratifying just to ourselves. Proverbs 10.23 says, doing wrong is fun for a fool. You might want to keep that one tucked away in your back pocket. Doing wrong is fun for a fool. Many of you know people like this. Wickedness is in their hearts, right? You know anybody like that? You don't have to wave at me if you're sitting by them, but just (laughs) acknowledge it in your heart. (laughs) Remember Job, when we read the passage of Scripture, he's identifying someone who isn't who they appear to be. He's talking about hypocrites running after deceit, racing to do what is wrong. We need to be separated from the world in this sense. We're not quick to do such things. Amen? I'm not saying you need to make your voice known. There's a proper way to do it, so do it. Number six of seven things that God detests is a false witness who pours out lies. Well, we already talked about a lying tongue. So why is this different? Well, give me a moment. Do you know that hidden agendas are in a... Oh, this is that one that I forgot to change for you guys. You got it all. You don't even have to wait for me to give you the notes. So our all-knowing God will bring justice, if not now, certainly later. Hidden agendas are an atrocity to God. And they're not hidden from God to begin with. So it's pride that makes men think that somehow God's missing this. He doesn't miss anything that you do. Down to the tiniest detail. He knows how you think about it in your heart and how it manifests in your life, whether great or small in your eyes. It's still you trying to deceive others and God finds that detestable. Now, there is a difference with this one. Proverbs 19.5, you have it right there on the overhead. A false witness will not go unpunished, nor will a liar escape. That should be good news to those of you who have been abused or misused sometime in your life. I'll say it again. A false witness will not go unpunished, nor will a liar escape. God knows. He's the great justifier. So even if you've been hurt or abused by somebody in the past, somewhere, sometime, God's going to set it right. Most of the time it actually happens here on earth, but it will happen. If not now, in eternity. God will make it right. You stay strong, stay true to God, and listen, don't take things up in your own arms. 
Let God deal with it. He'll do a way better job than you can. Do you know God can mess up people's sleep? He does. And have you ever had your sleep messed up by God? Wait a minute. Let me try this again. Any of you ever had a tough time falling asleep because you were under conviction? Thank you, Anthony, for stepping in and raving at me. A good brother, being honest. Look at, the, Jesus understands this better than anybody. He understands this whole concept. Look at what he says in, in Matthew 26, verse 59. Inside the leading priests and the entire council, the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. Are you listening to that? The entire high council. This sounds like an oxymoron. This sounds like something that doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. The entire high council are looking for someone that can lie in order to get Jesus put to death. The difference about in this a false witness who pours out lies is that they have malicious intent. Their intention is not just to tell a lie so that they get something that they want or don't get punished for something that, that they did. Their intention is actually to do damage to somebody else. God finds that detestable. And he separates this from general lying and points it out here in his word. So, your struggle is not unnoticed by Jesus. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Proverbs 19.9 puts it this way. A false witness will not go unpunished and a liar will be destroyed. Two times Solomon says it. Same chapter, Solomon says it. A false witness will not go unpunished and a liar will, will be destroyed. By his own lies. Listen, in the case of Judas, look what happened to him with Jesus. He lied, deceived Jesus with a kiss, went out and hung himself. His own heart was so disgusted with himself that he took his own lie. The account will be settled. Being a false witness will lead at you from the inside out. It's one of those kinds of things that it, you tell a lie on somebody and you have malicious intent. You, 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 may be, you may feel good for a moment, but eventually it's not going to feel so good. And having said all of that, I have a cautionary note for you. A false witness is only a hand's breadth away from a gossip. And I know the scripture says not to gossip too. But I want you to understand that these two are so closely related and, and, and if there's a sin that people think they can get away with in the church, this is the one, gossip. You hear some partial information on somebody and, and somebody else asks you about that person or that information and you only have partial information, you need to shut your mouth. 
Yes, I said it that way, that boldly and that starkly. You need to simply say, I don't know the answer to that thing. Don't even step into this uh, idea that you somehow know information, juicy information. Well, we, they need to know to pray for them. Hogwash, to put it in a southern term. You know what that means? Hogs are dirty animals. And you can wash them and they're going to run right back into the mud if they get the chance. So that doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. You don't have juicy information. You don't need to share it even if you do have it. Don't be caught in gossip. It's one tiny step away from a false witness who pours out lies. You don't have any reason to be caught up in this. All right, let's go to the last one. It's getting late here today. One who sows discord among the brethren. I can't get through this list without getting to this one because this one clearly is unique to the church. God hates discord because he delights in harmony, peace, and unity. That's what God delights in. He's a unified being, a tripart being, but one. And so God delights in this. God the Father, God the Son, God Holy Spirit. Their personality, if you will, their personality traits, but he's still just God, one. We call it the Trinity. And while I don't have time, and you don't have time, for me to get into an explanation today, I just want you to know that he does this kind of harmony. It is himself in his character and makeup. Clearly, this is referring, by the way, to someone who stirs up dissension among the body of Christ. Discord among the brethren. God despises it. Some people find it easier to make trouble than to mend it. Find it easier to make trouble than to, to, to not be full of pride and ask forgiveness and say you're sorry. You'll stir stuff up just because you don't want to say you're sorry. Nothing is simpler than to set, scatter the seeds of quarrels. God despises it amongst his, his people. Do you know that in unity, when we walk in faith together, we can do anything? Seriously. We can tear down barriers, strongholds of the enemy if we're walking together in unity. But if, we, if we're in dissension... We can't. So stop spreading any seeds of quarrels. Here's the thing. Squashing conflict is a lot of work, isn't it? It's a lot of work. We got to go see Pastor Peg just to help us to figure out how to squash our quarrels. It's It's work. Because people are people, aren't they? And people can be so hard to deal with sometimes when, when we're so sure we're right. We're hard to deal with because we want things our way. And we're confident that our way is the right way. Can you slow down long enough with a brother or sister in Christ to hear them? Hear their heart. And even if they're still wrong, there's a right way to communicate and deal with the issue. And in the body of Christ, we ought to be good at that. We're not that great, though, said Second Baptist Church. 
That makes sense to you, don't it? Can't be a second Baptist church if there's not first Baptist, so there must be a problem, right? At the root of sowing discord is selfishness, folks. And that's where the problem lies. If you are a sower of discord, you are bent on having things the way you want them. Husbands and wives, husbands in particular, you think you're owed the first position and so consequently things should customarily go your way. Then there are those of us who have little plaques in our house somewhere that says, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> yes, we have one of those in our house. It was bought to it for us by a friend. <laughs> that was not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We like things our way, don't we? All of us do. That's why you had to teach your kids no as the first word that they really came to understand. Because they want things their way. Listen, you're born wanting things your way. And you figure out early on, if I cry loud enough, long enough, I'll get what I want. And some people, it takes 35 years before they figure it out. We have to be people that are bent, if you will, on setting our hearts apart as unto the Lord and not wanting everything to go our way, but wanting everything to go God's way. Here's the hard thing for me to start my conclusion today. The scripture says, let every man take up his cross and follow me. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, he teaches us to act and and operate differently. Instead of getting everything our way, we go his way. You lack humility and a cooperative attitude if you are one of those people who is bent on sowing discord among the brothers. If you are that person or that seems to always be in a fight or a mess, ask yourself this hard question. Am I to blame? I know we don't like doing that, do we? But if you seem to find yourself consistently in a place of conflict with others, maybe you need to ask yourself that question. Am I the one to blame? Is it my heart? Is it my attitude? Is it my manner? Do you know you can be corrected by someone and receive it if their attitude and manner is right. But if your harsh manner 
it's just leading to more conflict, maybe you need to change the way you treat the individual or how you treat them. I know, I need to go on. Let's conclude these things. Are these the sins that God hates the most? Of course not. There still are the big ten, the ten commandments, if you will. Here's what Solomon did, and it's something that perhaps you don't know or understand, but I, I, I bring it to you just for, for some understanding of how things that we miss in the word because we don't know the original language. Solomon outlines these seven things here as a means of helping us understand that these issues, while encompassing some of the ten, are vital to human interaction. And it's poetic. That's what we don't get. It's his, it's his way of presentation. And because we don't have the original language, we don't understand the original language, it's not poetic to us. But that's why you hear it, the first line. Six things that God hates. No, seven things the Lord detests. That's poetic. And Solomon, uh, as the wisest man who ever walked on this earth, he had a way of presenting these seven things that was poetic that helps to bring the points across with perhaps a little less pain involved. But you know, God wants us to live peaceably and in harmony, and through Solomon shows us the way in this passage. Seven things that God detests. And I wonder if you'll get these things out of your life. Solomon, you see, gives us this poetic way of suggesting a specific but not exhaustive uh, catalog of sins. It's specific but not exhaustive. What does that mean? It means he told you the things that you need to know, but it's not the total exhaustive list, if you will, of the things you need to know to, not, uh, to, to create a circumstance where God looks at you and thinks, I don't, I don't like that about you. God still loves us, but he hates sin. And he really hates it when in dealing with one another, we do it in such a way that it does damage to the other person. We're not thinking about eternity. We're thinking about ourselves, and that's how we walk into this mess this way. If we will be careful not to allow these sins to take root in our lives, we will do far better with our kingdom family. That's just saying I'm going to treat each other. You're going to treat each other better. If you do these seven things, or don't do them, excuse me, you choose to think differently and operate differently. If we will be sure to root out any sign of these sins in our lives, we will prevent the devil from establishing a foothold in our lives. How many of you want to be sure to do that? I want to prevent the devil from establishing a foothold in my life or in my relationship with my family members and friends in the church other brothers and sisters of Christ, I need to be sure I'm not practicing those things. And so, Pastor Mackay, you can come along now. Let's be part of Jesus building his church. Look at your neighbor right now and say, I want to build you up. Somebody help Alex out. He doesn't have anybody on his pew right there. 
Amen. You got some brothers and sisters there with you? We want to build each other up. I want you strong in Christ Jesus. So I need to make it my business to work at that. Amen? You need to make it your business to work at that. Would you stand to your feet, please? I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the Lehigh Valley but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.